ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Jonathan Brower. This is my very first show on Voice America, and I'm delighted to be with you all. And yes, we're going to be talking about human behavior, what a trip. It comes in many forms and many ways. And we have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Betty Alkazian, and she's a marriage family therapist in Thousand Oaks, California. And she has a wonderful book she wrote a few years ago called Parenting Backwards. So, hello, Betty. Are you there? Hello, I'm here. Hi, I'm glad to have you with me, and uh, we get to uh, spend some time together. So, I'd like to start by asking you, uh, what promoted you or made you want to become a um, so a, a person who's interested in parenting? How'd that begin? It's kind of a, a complicated thing. It's not. It didn't all just happen in one direction. It, it started with kind of a, just an underlying interest. Uh-huh. As my sister had kids, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And what you know, kind of figuring out how would I do it before I had my own kids. And then when my oldest daughter was born, of course, I became more interested in it. And then uh-huh. when she was three years old, I found that she was incredibly challenging and really emotional, and I didn't know what to do with her. And I I had an epiphany one day out on a walk while I was crying, feeling completely lost as a mom, and just had a realization of what I felt my kid needed. And from there, I really started researching how to help her better, and it has just blossomed from there. So what kinds of uh, things happened that you were able to help her out? Well, I realized that she wasn't trying to drive me crazy, that she really needed my help and my support. Uh-huh. She was very sensitive, a, a highly sensitive child. Sensitive and, meaning she... Uh, I had never heard those terms before. I just thought, why is she afraid of everything? Why is everything so hard? I see. And so when I started researching it, I realized that there were terms for it and that there were tools for it. And it helped me through, and that just made me want to read more and made me hungry to understand more. Uh-huh. And that was when she was three. And then how many years later did you actually start the book and finish the book? Oh, my goodness. Well, I started the book many years before I finished the book. Yeah. Um, I finished it about two years ago. Uh-huh. And my daughter will be 21 in a couple of weeks, that daughter. Okay. So uh-huh. it's been a long journey. Yes. So um, I assume she's benefited by all the work you did leading up to your book. Oh, that would probably be a whole other interview. You'd have to ask her. (laughs) Yeah, but I imagine she benefited from the kind of parenting you figured out to do. Well, I think so, but, you know, I believe in what I do with my whole heart, and that's why I'm so passionate about sharing what I believe, my philosophy about parenting, and and really what I'm most passionate about is helping other families kind of ease their way because it's a really hard job. Yeah, parenting is a very hard job, and it's probably the most important job any adult parent can have. I agree. And uh, most of us are very um, 
not well, well prepared to do the best parenting we can. Exactly. So, so when you have your title of a book as Parenting Backwards, mm-hmm. how did you start working backwards? Well, that's really, it all started one day, one day when I was at a coaching workshop and, you know, just for continuing education units. Uh-huh. And one of the exercises the leader asked us to do was to write our eulogy. And so the whole concept was about writing our eulogy and then living backwards to live up to what we hope people will say about us at the end of our lives. Yes. And so I really thought that's such a brilliant concept to really be intentional, in, intentional about our yes. parenting. Yes. We need to think, well, who do we want our kids to become? And what do we need to do day one from here toward that goal? Yes. And then, and then part of the um, uh, mosaic is to help the child become what they need to become in a healthy way. Exactly. And because, in order to help our kids grow up to be healthy, we as parents have to be healthy. Yes. And there are a lot of parents who aren't healthy enough. It's true. And really what I'm finding is so many moms especially need permission to take time for themselves to prioritize themselves first. Yes, to, they have to give themselves yes, enough nutrition before they can help someone else. Very often moms put themselves last. Yes. And it, it's sad and it shows and nobody's happy. If mom's not happy, nobody's happy. Yes. So when you started working backwards, um, how did you do it with your being a, a mother with your children? Hmm. Well, I can't say that I've done it perfectly along the way, that's for sure. Of course. Um, I have three daughters and their ages are 21, 17, and 12. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's been a journey and a, you know, with ups and downs and tough times. And I think that's really one of the things that qualifies me, aside from all the research I've done and all the work I've done with so many families over the years, being a mom myself really, I think, allows me to say, okay, I'm not doing it perfectly either, but I'm in the trenches with you. And um, I hope that that helps my students and my clients as I work with them to yes. know that, you know, I'm making mistakes too, but, you know, let's figure this out together. Yes. There are these wonderful ads I've heard on the radio and or seen on TV, maybe both, and it's about uh, it's okay to parent your child and not be perfect, but you still can uh, you know, do things that may annoy them or that they're embarrassed about, <laughs> but that's good enough. It's true, and we're going to embarrass them just because we breathe. Yes, we don't do it necessarily intentionally in a vicious way or a mean way. (laughs) Sometimes we do, but (laughs) maybe when they're teenagers, it's kind of fun to annoy them. Yes. But, um, you know, that's about using humor. That's one of the tools that I teach parents all the time. Yeah, tell me more about how you Remember to have a good time and to remember to be light sometimes because the whole parenting responsibility can be so huge and so heavy and overwhelming yes. that sometimes we just need to lighten up. Yes. And when you say we, you mean the parent and the child? Everybody. Yeah. Yes. Because I, I would imagine at times the child might be angry with you and not want to lighten up, and you still want to lighten up. There's a time and a place for everything. Yes. So I would imagine uh, that your 12-year-old child had a better start with all this than your 17-year-old, but a better start than your 21-year-old. 
Is that good point? Good point. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, the twelve-year-old had some uh, experiences from the others before, and now she can be more into the program, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think she definitely had the benefit of a mother who was more relaxed about things, and yes. I have more experience and more perspective. Yes. In terms of my parenting, but she's also a different personality from the other two. So, you know, I'm kind of blazing a new trail with her as well. Yes. Not doing it perfectly, but doing my best every day. Yes. yes. So um, what are some of the important struggles or issues that you deal with in your practice as a um, marriage family therapist and as a parent? Well, in my my practice, you know, I specialize in parenting. So the majority of my clients are parents coming to me very often with, um, you know, parenting questions and issues, although it, very often it bleeds into the relationship. So yes. frequently we're working on the relationship as well. But when it comes to the parenting piece, I really think that one of the biggest issues parents have is is their own frustration and their own anger and keeping their own feelings in check when they feel disempowered by their children. And what I mean by disempowered is when when the kids maybe um, have too much control or Uh too much power or they're defiant, Uh and the parents very often don't have the tools to know what to do with that. And sometimes I fall back on some of the things that their parents did, which were fear-based or um, um, they become enraged, which only, you know, causes power struggles with kids. You're saying the parent becomes enraged. Exactly. The parent becomes enraged. How dare you speak to me that way? Yes. And really what the kid needs is more, I I believe in a a philosophy that's respect-based. And, yes. it, and it says instead of becoming enraged, which is disrespectful on the parents' part, and so how do we command respect from our kids if we're being disrespectful? Yes. That what we need to do is give them the consequence and say, I'm not willing to engage with you when you're treating me this way. Yes. So and it's uh, a whole different approach, very foreign to a lot of people. Yes. So when the parent becomes enraged with a child, it's okay for the parent to be aware of the rage they have inside them, mm-hmm. but then not to act it out towards the child. Absolutely. You, yes. you can't deny that your feelings, they're very real. Yes. But that's when I know, that's a, uh, a calling sign for me that says, oh, this parent is feeling disempowered and doesn't know what to do. It's almost yes. like a desperation. Yes. And, and some of those parents had parents who were troublesome for them. Yes. And then they get confused between their parent and their child. Exactly. And it really puts us in kind of a double bind. We don't want to treat our kids the way we were treated, but yet that's kind of what comes through us, how we were treated. Yes. And then we have this inner conflict. Yes. So uh, it might be useful and interesting if you could use a few vignettes from your own practice and... uh, Tell us what took place and how you helped the parent. Oh, my goodness. If you You're can. You're this on me without any preparation. <laughs> okay, well, then don't worry about it. How would, you like to, how would you like to go forth from here on in for right now? What would you... Oh. Hello? Okay. What would you 
like to uh, speak about at this moment regarding mm. your parenting? Well, um, I, I guess I would share with you some of my philosophy, a little bit of, of what I think is really important. Okay, great. Go for it. And um, that is, like I was saying before, the, re- the respect-based philosophy and yes. creating a home that is respect-based, that isn't chaotic and, um, yes. you know, has a lot of yelling and anger. And that's just not how I would want to live. Yes. You know, not to assume that everybody has the same feeling, but that's just kind of from my perspective. Yes. And that that we do have to teach our kids how to be that way, because naturally they're going to get angry and frustrated and lash out and use their hands and use their loud voices and, yes. you know, kick and scream and bite and all those things that kids do yes. because they don't know what to do with those feelings. And it's our job to teach them what to do, almost to tame kind of those primal emotions. Yes, one way it can be done is to, uh, they can put to words what their anger wants to do, but not actually um, use the physical anger. Exactly. Yes. And that's our task with kids, and really it's about teaching emotional intelligence. Yes, very much so. And, you know, we found that, you know, social scientists have found that emotional intelligence has a higher correlation with success even than IQ. And so I'm a really big proponent of teaching our kids what their feelings are called and to honor them and to, you know, help them understand this is normal. Anybody would feel that way in that situation. But we don't hit, we don't kick, we don't bite. What we do do is this. Right. We're going to take a brief break and we'll come back. Great. So everybody stay where you are and... Deal with your emotional intelligence. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to human behavior. What a trip. Here we're back with Betty Alcazian. This is Jonathan Brower. And Betty, we may have some callers who want to call in. Great. So, so if they do want to call in, please do. We'd love to have you um, bring your bring your question up or your challenge up. So until we do get some calls, perhaps uh, during the break, you and I were chatting about what percentage of parents are emotionally healthy and equipped to do good parenting, and we both thought it was less than fifty percent. And uh, Betty Alcazian thinks it's about thirty percent, which is more dismal than it should be. Well, I think that I don't think overall all parents. I think that just the ones who call me. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, so a lot of the healthy ones don't need to call you. Well, yeah, they may not feel the need so much, and I know that I have a biased view of the world, being a therapist. Yes. You know, it's more people who are feeling challenged and, um, you know, not quite sure what to do with it all who right. call me. So, yeah. as you know. Yes. So, are there some very specific? kinds of behaviors that uh, parents and children do that's not good for them to be doing? Oh. Whether it's around uh, candy or around sex with a teenager, you know, the, the, the teenager who's just oh, beginning wow. to... That gets me started on a whole other yeah. um, wealth of, <laughs> of thought processes. But... Um, in, in terms of tweens and teens, I think the biggest mistake parents make is turning a blind eye or uh-huh. not supervising their kids. Yes. Because I really believe that kids who have free time and who are unsupervised are the ones who get in trouble. And they might be really good kids, but I think kids will do in groups things that they would never do on their own. Yes. So they need adult supervision. They need a parent to say, hey, that's not okay. Or we don't do that. If you want to hang out with your friends, they're welcome to come to that, our house. I'll order a pizza. You guys can rent a movie. Uh huh. But they need adult supervision. Yes, and they also need not only the supervision, but they need their parents to have good boundaries. So um, there are a lot of kids who um, use different kinds of drugs, mm-hmm. and sometimes the parents know about it and want to pretend it doesn't exist. And other yes. times they really don't know about it. True, too. And sometimes so, they'll justify it and say, oh, we did that when we were kids. Yes. And uh, that doesn't make it okay from my perspective because I just don't think that kids are as emotionally well-equipped or um, as equipped to make good judgments, especially when they're under the influence of a substance. But even without, their yes. brains aren't fully developed. Yes, and so they're making decisions with half-developed brains. That's pretty frightening. Right. So what do you do as the as the therapist when you have these parents who uh, want to to uh, pretend their kids aren't doing uh, destructive things, or they they want to pretend that uh, 
the child is fine when they're not. Mm-hmm. What kinds of conversations or issues would you bring up with the parents at those times? Very often I will, with that kind of scenario, I'll go straight to, you know, what's your fear? Because very often I think parents go into denial when the pain is too great. Uh-huh. Their, fe- their own fears are too great. Yes. And they don't want to know what their kids are doing because they don't know what they would do about it. So if I offer potential solutions, if we can brainstorm together, support, all of the things that I hope to offer, yes. then I believe parents are more willing to look at kind of the unthinkable. Uh-huh. And we come up with plans and, and you know, some structure yes. that gives the parents sort of more of that ability to set limits and right. to know what to do with yeah. it. So some of these parents who you're dealing with have anxiety and or depression going on with them. No question. So um, what do you do about that? Mm. That's actually one of the most common uh, things that I see in my office is um, parents will come in and, you know, describe behaviors that their kids are displaying that are really representative of anxiety. And, of course, I always say, tell me about you and get a family history as well. And very often there is a family history of anxiety and depression and then we talk about what influence the parents' behavior may be having on the kids, what the history, the genetics, all of that uh-huh. may have. And then I attempt to give them tools to help them, which will always alleviate their own anxieties when they feel better equipped to know uh-huh. how to help their child. And, and of course, some... we always consider, you know, how to better equip the parents to help themselves as well. Yes. And what are some of the kinds of tools you might use? Hmm. Um, well, you know, when it comes to the kids, there are situations that they may want to avoid. That might be one of the one tool, you know, like characters at Disneyland are a huge um, fear that preschool age kids have. Yes, like the clown and the clown and the mask. Yeah, the characters, the the big costumes, and that that's really that can become really traumatic for kids. Yes. Um, so they don't have to go to those places in order to have a great childhood <laughs> because yes. they'll be able to go later developmentally when they outgrow some of these fears. Yes. Um, also, I had another one in my mind that just disappeared from my head. What, well, okay. what can you think of? that? Well, actually, my next question was, um, when you're working with parents, do you tend to be working equally with, in terms of numbers, fathers and mothers, or is it more often mothers? I would say more often mothers, uh-huh. but uh, my favorite is when I can get both mom and dad in the room. Yes. Because then they're working from the same place. They're supporting one another rather than having differing parenting styles or even um, differing philosophies from which yes. they're coming. That makes it harder. So when I can get both mom and dad in the room and talk about certain behaviors and what I might suggest to alleviate it or to improve things, then they're going to support each other in those situations when I'm not in the room. Yes. I would imagine that if only one of the two parents is in the room with you and the other one is rarely or never comes, that the parent who is in the room without the other one uh, has some problems with that. Sometimes. You know, I always say I'd rather have one than neither. 
Of course. And so if I get one parent in the room and we talk about some strategies, very often what happens is when they apply it at home, then the other parent will say, wow, that really worked. And very often we can kind of bring in the other parent just because they see, oh, wow, this really might be making a difference. I want to be a part of this too. Yes. So thankfully it works magically that way. Yeah. So um, for a lot of families... Two big issues seems to be the parents want their children to have very high grades, mm. which is a problem. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times parents will say to a child, so, uh, you know, what were your grades or what was your score in your test? Mm-hmm. Rather than say, rather than ask the kid, uh, what did you like about what you read? Right. Yeah. So and grades you- is a big deal. And then also, um, uh, being a superstar in some other way, whether it's athletics, athletics or, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And then there's this whole hierarchy of who are the coolest kids, who are the least cool kids. And that can be a big problem for a lot of kids. Yes, it's much more a problem for the parents. If yes. they're making an issue of it, I, you know, I automatically call the parents on it and say, what, what are you trying to resolve for yourself? Or yes. how are you trying to live vicariously through your child? Yes. You know, I, I often talk about how much more important it is to focus on the outcomes than it is to focus on, I mean, sorry, less important to focus on the outcome and much more important to focus on the journey, the process getting there. What was that like for you? How could you do it better? Would you want to do it better? Would you not want to? What did you like about it? And to yes. help them understand because it's more that, um, self-reflection and insight that is part of that emotional intelligence we were talking about. Yes. And it's not about the grades. Some kids are only capable of pulling C's, but a C in math, let's say, for some kids, and I say that because math is not my strength, yes. a C for me was a great thing. I was really proud of myself, whereas another kid is capable of the A-plus in that same class. Yes. And so it's much more about the effort, the capability, and the journey that it took getting there. Yes. And there are some kids who are bright but aren't particularly interested in what they're supposed to be learning in school. Right. And then later on, they uh, blossom tremendously. So uh, many years ago when I was in high school, I had this friend who um, would just pretty much get C's, and, but he did a lot of reading and exploration on his own, and he ended up being this world-renowned uh, scientist who uh, has patented all these different devices to uh, show um, microscopic parts of the human body and how they work. Wow! So, and, and who would have guessed? When, you know, when exactly. He- and that's one of one of the things that I feel so strongly about with parents. That, you know, if you dream of your child being a baseball player, but really he wants to be a sculptor, yes. then, you know, maybe he's the next Michelangelo. Like, let him, <laughs> let your child be who they are. Don't try to, you know, stuff them into a box of your own design, because that's yes. not fair. That doesn't honor who your child is. Yes. Another big problem that I've encountered in my practice for... Uh, a lot of people, they want to hold back and not experience their real feelings, which would include their anger, their sadness, mm-hmm. their happiness. 
So uh, I think we're going to be coming to a, another brief pause in a moment. So we'll come back to talking more about parenting and parenting backwards. And if anyone wants to call in, you're welcome to do so. And uh, the music's gradually getting louder, which means it's time for a brief commercial. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower, and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. We're back to our trip of human behavior. So during the break, um, Betty Alcazian and I were talking about different things, including bullying and um Many of you may have seen on TV the episode that took place about a week and a half or two weeks ago where this woman was uh, on the bus, and I believe she was there to uh, monitor the children in addition to the bus driver. And there were these uh, teenage children who were being very cruel to her. She was uh, considerably overweight, and they were making fun of her, and they were saying terrible things about her. Very hurtful. Very hurtful, and I was incensed. I mean, my my reaction was these kids, you know, they need to learn better and they need to be punished. But um, 
uh, I was wondering how these kids ended up being that way and what did their parents do or not do that would have allowed these children to uh, go out of their way to be hurtful to this woman who was doing nothing to bother them really. Mm-hmm. So uh, in your in your business, have you come across the issue of bullying? Yes. At school, and what do you? How do you help the child with that? Um, typically, you know, wow, it's such a complex. Yes, it is issue. Um, typically, the people I see are the parents of the kids who are being bullied, and yes. um, so there are so many different angles that really this ne- this issue needs to be um, dealt with from every angle. And um, for parents, yes, we always want to encourage our kids to handle things themselves when possible. Yes. It's our hope that we have given them the tools to stand up and say, hey, knock it off, don't talk to me that way. Yes. And when it gets to the point where they can't handle it themselves anymore to get adult intervention. <laughs> yeah. um, but when it comes to the kid, those kids, like using the kids on the bus as an example, yes. I-, I wouldn't even say that those are evil kids or terrible kids. Like I said earlier, sometimes kids are willing to do things in crowds that yes. they would never do individually. Yes. And and sometimes they fuel each other. So, yes, uh, might I have liked that adult to have stood up and said something? I don't know. Maybe she wasn't able. I don't know what her role was. Um, I don't know how it all started. And, you know, I'm sure that the feeling she was having from the horrible words oh, yes. that were being said but that's when that adult supervision and somebody needs to step in and tell these kids to knock it off, give them consequences, stop that bus, get them off, whatever it is, to really let them know this is not to be tolerated. Yes. Um, but the, another thing that co- often contributes to it is parents who don't set limits in the home and who let kids kind of run the show. And they... Those are the parents who feel disempowered because they don't know what I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to tell my kid he's stronger than I am sometimes. Yes, they also use the defense of passivity. Yes. And they they become passive and then they're not helpful helpful to the children at all. Exactly. And they're afraid mm-hmm. of their kids' anger. Yes. And what we have to do is empower parents to stand up and to say to their kids, "I know better for you than you know for yourself." Yes. And I'm going to make sure that you learn what is most important for you to grow up to be an incredible adult. Yes. And that may not be what you want, and it may be uncomfortable, but this is really the key, and that is we as parents have to be able to tolerate our kids' discomfort. Because when we can tolerate their discomfort, we teach them to tolerate their own discomfort and to push through you know, hard times or yeah. difficult things or frustrations. Yeah. The parent and, has to be able to tolerate their own feelings yeah. as well as their children's feelings. Exactly. And then the ch- children have to learn how to be able to tolerate their strong feelings. Yes. Because put as them adults, in, yeah. is there ever a day when there isn't some kind of discomfort? No. I mean, yeah. whether it's, ugh, that phone call I don't want to make or, yes. ugh, those bills I don't feel like paying. <laughs> Whatever it is, there's always something, and that's just on the small end. You know, what about, God forbid, you're dealing with illness and death and really the tough things in life. Yes. And we have to know how to do that. We have to teach our kids, hey, this is a part of life. It's hard. It's no fun. 
but we've got to do it, and we've got to be a good, good person while we're going through it. Yes. And we have to model that, not just tell them how to do it, but to show them. Yes, I agree. So um, one problem that seems to uh, wax and wane, but it's uh, relatively new compared to the 1940s or 50s. So uh, when kids are in school, especially high school students, um, the kinds of clothing they wear mm-hmm. frequently is very suggestive mm-hmm. and seems way out of line for school. Yet the uh, principals of the schools and the parents of the kids, they all seem to go along with uh, these rather risque outfits. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm um, against that, but I'm not in the minority regarding that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there seems to be a problem with the adults setting standards that are more appropriate for school. Well, again, I think this is a great example of parents being afraid to stand up to their kids. Yes. And we have to teach our kids what our values are. And, yes. you know, young girls, let's say eighth and ninth grade, and they, they're, you know, kind of testing out their new figures and, oh, the fashions are a little bit more risque, then they they don't understand the power that they have, you know, as women with yes. their bodies that are really very new and they don't understand sexuality, they don't understand the impact that that they have. And they also don't understand what they're communicating. So that's why we as parents have to be willing to say, hey, it's not okay for you to communicate what you're communicating with this outfit because what you're saying is I want to be sexual and you're too young to be ready to handle that message or to be ready to handle somebody who's receiving that message and you don't know what to do with it yeah, on the so, other end. Yeah, so the the child should be allowed to talk about how they want to be you know, sexual, but not necessarily act it out. Right, and that's why parents have to get their heads out of the sand and be willing to sit down with their kids and say, I get that you're curious. I get that sexuality is, you know, interesting and exciting and everybody's, you know, wants to know more about it, especially as kids are, you know, getting to those ages. But then we have to teach them about consequences. We have to teach them about values. We have to teach them about, you know, we don't engage in certain behaviors because that doesn't make you feel good about you. When you're in a, an adult relationship, then we can talk about adult behaviors, but kids shouldn't be engaging in adult behaviors. I agree. You know, when they don't understand that really what they're doing and the impact that it will have on them 20 years from now. Yes. Potentially. So it's a big problem that doesn't seem to get resolved uh, in a real neat way. Right. All the more reason, you know, I am so passionate about touching as many parents as I possibly can to teach them not to be afraid of their kids. If they're not afraid to set a limit and say, this isn't okay, and again, I know better for you than you know for yourself, then the, the kids are much more likely to be grateful for those limits. Well, maybe, you know, they might test a little, but yes. they are going to be grateful that somebody's saying, no, you've gone too far, because they scare themselves when they go too far. Yes. And then an extension of that is um, for proms and grad nights, when these kids uh, you know, have 
you know, dates, and they go to these extravagant parties, and mm-hmm. and they're out real late, and a lot of them are supposedly having sex. I mean, the whole thing's out of whack. And uh, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know that we can solve it, but what we can do is in our own homes, yes. you know, with our own kids. That's where kids learn their values. And it's really about keeping kids attached to their families and not having them learning their values from their friends. Because I don't want my kids learning their values from their friends. I don't know what's going on in their friends' homes. Right. I mean, so ideally... I, I try to keep them turned toward our family. We have family dinners. We get together with extended relatives. We, yes. you know, we stay connected as much as we possibly can during yes. those developmental years when kids want to be turned toward their friends more. So, yes, yes that's age-appropriate. It's great. But we also need to be keeping them turned toward their family as well. Yes. So another issue along these lines that uh, I'm concerned about is a lot of the kids in high school before they're 18 are getting tattooed. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them, I'm sure, are going to re- regret having those tattoos on them later on. And, I agree. Um, and facial piercings I'm seeing in middle schools. Yeah, it's terrible. So um, I think it's against the law to be tattooed be- below a certain age, isn't it? Um, you know, I don't know how they're going about getting the approval. Yes. They may, you know, have an older sibling or somebody who's signing for them Yes. to... To get them, you know, yeah. and different families have different value systems too. Of course, there I know. may be families who believe that it's okay, and you know, who am I? That it, it's not about the judgment; it's more about making sure that your values are reflected in your parenting and being intentional about it. I'm not judging how people are raising their kids. I just want to support parents in making sure that what they are teaching their kids is reflective of their values. Yes, and hopefully reflected of the values strongly enough that when other kids are doing inappropriate things that they, they the healthier child doesn't right. have to take place. Take sure, part we in. want to give our kids the best chance they possibly can have to live a good life and achieve their own hopes and dreams and goals. Yes. You know, rather than, you know, messing up when they're young because they weren't aware and then having to live the consequences of that forever. Yes. So this uh, nice, soothing music is coming back on, which means we'll be taking a break. And uh, Betty and Jonathan will come back in a minute and a half or so, and we'll continue our conversation. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. 
tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower, and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hello, we're back on the trip of Human Behavior. So Betty and I were chatting a little bit while the uh, commercials were going on, and we were talking about siblings and grandparents. So why don't we start with grandparents? Okay. So uh, what's your take on the issue with grandparents honoring or not honoring their own children's uh, wants and desires regarding how they deal with their grandchild, if that makes sense? This is actually a really common issue that yes. um, parents bring into my office, and that is, you know, they, they become very angry and frustrated. My in-laws or my parents don't honor. I tell them, don't give my kids sodas and junk food, and they do, and they don't listen. And <laughs> um, I hear this a lot. Yes. Um, well, my basic philosophy is it is a grandparent's prerogative to spoil their grandchildren, um, uh, within limits, I also think there needs to be a, a respect, a level of respect for the parents uh-huh. as well. But to some degree, as long as it's not really out of line and really, you know, dis- destructive, especially, um, I think grandparents sort have sort of earned that right to spoil their grandkids in whatever ways. And it's okay if we have to kind of deprogram the kids once they get home. That's all right. That's that's their relationship, and you want the grandparents to forge their own relationship with the kids. That's a special kind of relationship. It's not a relationship that involves discipline and, you know, consequences and all of that. It's supposed to be fun and loving, and I hope that parents encourage that relationship, again, as long as it's not destructive. What's yes. your perspective, Jonathan? Well, uh, I'll, before I tell you exactly that, um you know, you use the expression as when you said they don't listen. You know, in our culture, when someone, when someone, let's say the grandparent says something to the to the child mm-hmm. that the 
that they didn't want their I'm trying to make this more succinct. So there's there's grandparent, there's parent, and there's child. Mm-hmm. So when grandparent um, says uh, they don't have to listen, they don't they don't they don't listen. Or when the parent says to the grandparent, you know, you're not listening. I don't want my child doing something. It's not that they don't listen. They're listening, but they're not. They're not. Uh, then what's the word? Getting, getting, their wishes. Yeah, they don't. They say that they're not listening. The person is listening, but they're not obeying. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Uh huh. So um, we parents want our grant. We want our parents to uh, obey what we want them to do or not do with our children. And um, uh, it's a matter of degree. So for me personally. I'm into being healthy as many ways as possible, and uh, I don't give my grandkids sweets that their parents don't want them to have, and we just work around it so that they, you know, they can eat healthy, they can have fruit and stuff, but they're not going to have, a, you know, a big bag of uh, bonbons or <laughs> or uh, jelly beans. Right. And uh, I also don't like the idea of us spoiling our children. Or our grandchildren. I don't think we should spoil them. Whatever spoil means. Mm-hmm, right. It's it's all perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're doing a we grandparents are doing a huge disservice to our adult children and to our grandchildren when we go against the wishes of the parent. I agree with you. I think yeah. that parents and grandparents should work together yes. to you know with those with the kids and really it's about the relationship and having you yes. know a good relationship with your adult children as well as with your grandchildren but exactly. w- the one thing that i really want to emphasize is it's important for the parents to manage their expectations that that when grandparents are babysitting let's say that they shouldn't expect that the grandparents will be the parent but it is a different kind of a relationship, and to let that be okay. Yeah, and yeah. So if it's something like, well, okay, you can stay up an hour later than you usually do at home. That's right, fine. That's what I mean. More and a little bit more indulgent because let them have fun together. Let them nurture their relationship. Yeah, is what the, is what I suggest to parents. Yeah, but if the but kid, of course it shouldn't get to a disrespectful place where parents say, "Please don't give my kid sugar because it makes them crazy," and the grandparents say, "I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want." Then, then that becomes destructive to the relationship. Very much so. Yes. Yes. No, I don't believe in that. Yeah, it's not good for anybody. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing we were going to talk about also before we have to say goodbye, our siblings. There's all, always. Uh, Issues with siblings. Yes. And how do you go about helping your adult parents, not your own parents, but the parents you see in in the therapy room, how do you help them with the sibling issues? Well, one of the things I, I teach is um, to stay out of the relationship as much as possible because uh-huh. it's not your relationship. It's their relationship, and they kind of have to forge their own way. Yes. Of course, that is with a hundred caveats, <laughs> including no hitting, no. Right when they yeah. cross the line and they're um, disrespecting our value systems, then it's a whole other 
ball game that we're talking about. But what I often suggest is never point fingers at one child against another. Because then even if you do it one time, the child feels like you always take his side. And so it needs to feel, quote unquote, fair, even though it's not about fairness. It's much more about um, kind of hovering above the relationship and not pretending that you know what's going on. We don't really know who started anything. Even if you think you know, you think you saw something, that doesn't mean you actually know who started it. It really could be in retaliation for something that happened two hours ago or two weeks ago. So I want parents to really be cognizant of the fact that it's not completely their relationship. They are just a witness to these other two people's relationships or more than two. And so what I want the parents to do is say, I can see the two of you are having a hard time getting along. Maybe you guys need a break. Instead Uh of pointing a finger saying, you stop it, you go to your room, you do this, that that complicates matters and confuses the kids, actually. Yes. So I want the parents to be a little bit more um, democratic when it comes to dealing with sibling issues and to kind of stay a, a level above and not try to dive down and be a part of something that they're not a part of. Yes. And then, and then when those children, uh, among their siblings, as they age, those brothers and sisters become very, can become very important and lovely, uh, friends with each other. Yes. As they age and as their parents are already dead. Right. That's the values we really yes. want to teach them. And that is, yes. this is the longest relationship you'll have in your life. Yes. And nobody gets your life as well as your siblings. So yes. honor them. You're a team. You're not yes. enemies. Yes. Yeah, siblings is very important stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of families and siblings aren't cohesive enough to Right, and sometimes get parents getting in the way can get in the way of kids being friends with each other because they've interfered too much. Yes. Yeah. So... um when someone finishes reading your book, what do you hope they come away with mm. in, in a general way or a specific way, either one? Uh, my general hope is that they at least, uh, you know, it helps them gel their own per- personal parenting philosophy uh-huh. so that they don't have to ask me a question for every situation, but they have an underlying philosophy that tells them, oh, I know how to handle this because this is the, my underlying belief. And yes. I, I just want them, every parent to kind of help them gel their own personal parenting philosophy so that they can springboard from there about everything. Yes. Well, I hope every parent in the whole world can read your book, <laughs> Parenting Thanks. Backwards, and uh, you help people, and that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me today. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip! with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.